So we're in Luke 24, reading from 1 through to 35. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleaming like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the, women, but the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, he has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the son of man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the 11 and all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the others with them had told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves and he went away wondering to himself what had happened. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one in living in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who had said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he were going further on. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening and the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he just disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us. So they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the 11 and those with them assembled together and saying, 
It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. We'll just go over to 1 Corinthians 15, starting from verse 1. Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you. So this is Paul writing. Which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the 12. And after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at, one, at the same time, most of whom are still living though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was within, with me. Whether then it was I or they, this is what we preach, and this is what you believed. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. May God give us understanding. Let's pray. Again, our God and our Father, Lord, we do indeed come before you humbly, recognizing that you alone are God. Your son is the words of eternal life. And so, Lord, we pray now as we open your word that you would indeed come and speak to us. Lord, that you would help me as a mere man to stand aside and to let you reign and speak. But you would let, Lord, each one of us in our hearts be inclined towards you to hear. Father, open our eyes, remove scales, remove hardness of heart. And cause us to see and savour the Lord Jesus Christ in his resurrection. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Why do you look for the living amongst the dead? He's not here. He's risen. Oh, come on. Good on you. He's risen. Good morning, Chapel Street. Good morning to Chapel Street online. 
Um, it's good to be back. And what better day can there be to come before the Lord than Easter Sunday? We've had Good Friday, and some of us were here. It's great. Um, and now we get to rejoice at the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in many ways, there can be nothing better. You know, the sum of all things is the glory of God. The sum of creation, the sum of rebellion, believe it or not, the sum of sin, the sum of the law, the fallen universe, the prophets, the history, all human history is designed to bring God glory. And the sum of all things is his glory. It doesn't fail. It happens. But the crown in that summing up is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the jewel in the crown, if you will, is the resurrection. And so I think it's important, again, as we gather in, we celebrate the gospel every week. We should be celebrating every day. But it's important that we just reflect again. We've already been drawn through a reflection of the gospel through communion. But it's important that we reflect again on the resurrection. It's easy to know the language of being a Christian. It's easy to come to church and say, yes, I believe. I know. I've heard this story. Let's just pause, though, and not become complacent or even over-familiar with the resurrection, specifically. We should testify to it. The apostles testified to it right at the beginning. Once the Lord had ascended, they just went out straight away and testified. The word says that they had great power in testifying to the resurrection. Why? Because they'd seen it. They'd witnessed it. It says that the grace of God was upon them. So let's give our testimony today. As you listen, as I speak and listen, and as we go out of here today, let's give our testimony. Because the word says, if we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. So we must testify. We must believe in our hearts. And my hope today is that I'll simply encourage you to testify. That you'll be so moved again by the gospel, by the resurrection, that you will indeed testify to the truth. And so let me start by testifying to you, to myself. We heard 1 Corinthians 15 read for us there, and at the beginning of that text, Paul says to the church that he founded, who had already heard the gospel, I want to remind you, <laughs> I want to remind you of it, I want you to remember it, I want to remind you of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received, you took it, you believed in it, in which you stand, you build your life on this truth by which you are being saved. And then he says, if you hold fast to the truth which I preached to you. He says, I received it of first importance. There is nothing more important because it's the sum of the glory of God. Then he says what it is in a nutshell. Christ died for the sins of the world. According to scripture, he was buried. He was truly dead. And on the third day, he rose again from the dead, according to scripture. And then he says something extraordinary. He basically says, and loads of people saw him. Apostles, 
At one point, 500 people saw him at the same time. And he was around for 40 days until he ascended into heaven. So the resurrection is a real thing that we have to do business with. These men are testifying about this truth. And so we must testify. But what does that gospel mean? And every time I get the opportunity to share the gospel, I try and think of different ways of saying it. But fundamentally, we need to come back to the same truth. Christ died for sin. You might think that death and sin have nothing to do with each other. One of my favorite dates to take my dear wife on is to the graveyard. You might say, well, that's a bit of a dead end, Sam. But it's a cheap date. But one of the things I really like about it is you get to see tombstones. There's no people there. We know that there are bodies there. But there are no actual people there. And tombstones tell us, don't they, as we learned on Friday, when people are born and when they die. As Jill said to me on Friday, it's the bit in between, isn't it, that matters? It's true. But one of the things that tombstones don't tell you is what the people died of. It's never there, is it? I actually did see one tombstone once that did have the reason for someone's death in relation to cancer. But it's the only one I've ever seen in all the times I've been uh, to graveyards. The reason for that is that every one of them actually died of the same thing. Because the Bible teaches that the wages of sin, the result, the reward, the thing you obtain from being by nature sinful and therefore committing sin is death. It comes to nothing in that sense. And after death comes judgment, which is something horrific. And so Christ dies for that sin, that offense to God that we've all committed, but are born in. It's our nature that is the offense to God. God started it differently. He created the world and mankind rebelled against him. Our first parents, Adam and Eve, they rebelled against God. And so they were cast out and the world was full and the cosmos was full and it was broken. It still had beauty and pictures of God's glory, but fundamentally it was broken. When you look around the world today, do you disagree with me? Is the world perfect? No. So sin had entered the world and God had overlooked sin for a time, the word says in Romans 3. But sin was a disobedience to God. And so that disobedience had a cost. That disobedience needed to be paid for. And that's what this is about. That's why Christ dies on the cross. Pays the penalty that humankind should pay. He is perfect. No one needs to pay for him. You can't pay for yourself. You need someone that is perfect to do it. And he is the one. And he was really dead. There's no joke. The Son of God died. Just dwell on that. He was buried. Because that's what you do with dead people. And on the third day, he came to life. He came to life. 
don't know about you, but the one thing dead things don't do is come to life. It's not possible. And so some people don't believe. These 500 men and the apostles, they believed. And they gave their lives for it. It's an essential final ingredient, isn't it, the resurrection in the gospel? It's the essential final piece. Christ dies for the sins of the world. He appeases his father. He pleases him. He fulfills the law. The payment is made. The essential final ingredient is the resurrection. Because, listen, without the resurrection, there is no hope. Without the resurrection, there's no life, there's no victory, there's no new creation. We don't get born again. There's no real and lasting joy. There's no second coming. He can't come. <laughs> He's not raised. Literally, there's nothing to look forward to in this life. We all like to look forward to things, don't we? Maybe a sporting event. It may be Easter, eating chocolates. Who knows? It may be the weekend. A lot of people look forward to the weekend, and we enjoy that concept, don't we? Now, life might be hard now, but the weekend, this is going to happen. I'm going to have a day off from work or whatever it may be. We all like to look forward to things, but if there is no resurrection, there is actually nothing ultimately to look forward to except judgment and hell. And who's going to look forward to that? The Bible says, as we've heard, because if all we have to hope of is this life, then we of all men are most to be pitied. If as Christians, this is it, there is no afterlife or no joy or peace or salvation in Christ, then we should be pitied because we go around as if there is. So focusing again on the resurrection, I want to start by saying there are two problems that the uh, resurrection brings, depending on whether it's true or false, for the Christian and for the non-Christian. We should listen carefully to these. The first problem is for the believer if there's no resurrection. If we're Christians and we have faith in Christ that we will have life and there is no resurrection, then we have a big problem. And the word that was read for us tells us very clearly in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 17, Paul says, and if Christ has not been raised from the dead, if, he, if there is no resurrection, your faith is futile and you are still dead in your sin. You are still in your sin. Futile faith, still in our sins. What does Paul mean? Well, literally, futile faith is faith that is empty. There is no power. It's, it's, it's invested in something that is impotent. It's powerless. It's ineffectual. It's pointless. It doesn't matter how much faith we think we have. The resurrection isn't true. It's futile. See, the resurrection, the truth of the resurrection doesn't depend on us. It doesn't depend on our faith. But our faith depends on the resurrection, doesn't it? 
the existence, the reality of the resurrection doesn't depend on how much faith I have. If I want to, if I say that I can fly, and I have faith that I can fly, and I have really big faith, and you encourage me to have really big faith, I jump off a building and I break my legs. It doesn't depend on how much faith I have, but my faith depends on it. If the resurrection is real, then my faith isn't futile. It's fully connected with God and real life. Our faith depends on the resurrection because it has a power. The second thing that he says there, we're still dead in our sins. What does that mean? <laughs> I thought Jesus died for the sin of the world. Now you're telling me I'm still dead in my sin if there's no resurrection? Does a resurrection need to happen in order for the sin to be paid for? Actually, no, it doesn't. Jesus is the sacrifice. It is enough. He's on the cross and he says, it's finished. The law is fulfilled. God, the Father, is vindicated. He's accomplished the law and all that the law does. But if there's no resurrection, we're still dead in our sins. What, what does he mean? Go back to the graveyard. It literally means sin still has a power over us because we're not going to live we're going to die in the fullest sense so our faith is futile and we're still dead in our sins god's law might well be paid for his righteousness may well have been demonstrated but that's it Listen to Ephesians 2, you know it well, I'm sure, and you, referring to the Christians of Ephesus and, the, and Asia Minor, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Literally, it means you were under God's wrath. You were going to be judged. You were dead. You would not have real life in the fullness of it. And then he says a little bit later, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, listen, made us alive together with Christ. We were dead, and then we were made alive. Because Christ died for our sin? No. That's how we get justified. That's, that's how we enter in through the door, if you will. We were made alive together with Christ. So if Christ wasn't made alive, we wouldn't be made alive together with him. Do you see how the scripture works there? We're still dead in our sins if Christ was not raised. So that's the problem for the Christian if the resurrection isn't real, if it's just made up. That's also the problem for a non-Christian, right? <laughs> but there's another problem for non-Christians. And that's the problem that if they're is a literal resurrection christians have a problem if there isn't one non-christians have a problem if there is one and what's that it's simple <laughs> you're going to meet him you're going to encounter him you're going to meet this man who is the son of god because he was raised from the dead and you might say well that's great didn't he die for the sin of the world yes he did but if you don't know him how are you going to meet him well you're going to meet him as lord and judge and that's the significance of the resurrection for non-christians 
his judge. Second Timothy 4, Paul says, I charge you, talking to Timothy, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is judge, he is to judge the living and the dead, that's to say Christians and non-Christians. Of course, Christians will be judged by his sacrifice, by his appearing, says the Apostle Paul. He exists, he's raised. Romans 14, 9, Paul says, for to this end Christ died and lived again. Great, this is what Paul's going to tell you, why Christ died and lived again that he might be Lord, both of the dead and of the living. For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. Listen, if Jesus Christ is literally risen again and you don't know Christ, this is actually not good news for you. Because he will judge you. If he isn't risen from the dead, he's not going to. But I believe he is literally risen from the dead physically not a ghost not a vapor not some kind of apparition a specter in traditional language but a person so they're two little kind of warnings of problems right for the christian for the non-christian but i got really good news <laughs> he was raised from the dead amen he was raised from the dead you know, people today, in amongst the kind of conspiracy theories and strange ideas that people have, uh, they often have ideas about people that historically have died, but they think haven't died and are still living. You can probably think of a few. Elvis Presley's one of them. Elvis Presley didn't die. Some people say he's still alive. He's around somewhere, some kind of nice island. Everything's tickety-boo, and he's as happy as he's ever been singing away. Some people say the same about Princess Diana. Some people say the same about John Lennon, Marilyn Monroe. You'd be surprised how many people believe that those people are still alive. It must be pretty elderly in some cases. Perhaps they're all on one grand island having fun. The problem with that theory is it should be quite easy to determine whether it's true or not, right? If it's true, well, what do we do? We find those people. <laughs> we go and find them. And so, well, they're hiding. Really, that's the problem with that idea. The evidence says otherwise. Produce Elvis as a living singing person and I might believe you. Well, we can't, he's in hiding. And in contrast to that, people think that Jesus is still dead. And yet the evidence says otherwise, doesn't it? The evidence says he isn't dead. We just heard 500 people at one time. Some people say, oh, people hallucinated the resurrection. 500 people at the same time hallucinated the same thing? That's ridiculous. The evidence says otherwise. The eyewitnesses. One of the strongest evidences for me when I was becoming a Christian was simply this, that these men and women who testified to the resurrection lost their lives because of it. If it wasn't true, at some point, if it was me and I was about to be put to death, I might say, well, actually, I may have made that bit up. Let's, you know, backpedal a little bit here. But they didn't. And they're still not. Today, now, in various countries around the world, people are being put to death for their faith in the death, burial and resurrection of this wonderful man, Jesus Christ. 
the man they, they placed their faith in. And that to me is a staggering piece of evidence. But I'm not going to go through all the evidence today. I want to just try and encourage us so that we go out testifying. Very simply, it won't take long. Because the resurrection is so important. It's so significant for us as well as for God. I've got three points that I hope will encourage you that the resurrection brings. There are many other points that you could look at. Um, these, like all the others, are all linked together. They all work together. I'll try and separate them just so that we can understand them a little bit. And the first point is this. The resurrection brings victory. It brings us the believers of Christ, the followers of Christ, it brings us a victory. You might say, well, what, what kind of victory? Let me read the text for you. Further on in that passage in 1 Corinthians 15, it says this, Paul says, the trumpet will sound, it's referring to a second, the second coming, and the dead will be raised imperishable. That's the opposite of the fall, isn't it? The fall is perishable. It's breaking down. It's falling apart. The dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body, the old flesh, this perishable body must put on the imperishable. And this mortal body, to say it another way, must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, O death, where is your sting? Death is swallowed up, what a great metaphor, in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? What is Paul saying? What is the word saying? You don't have a victory. You don't have a victory, death. You think you do. You think that's the end. But Christ has overcome death by being raised back to life. And so you have a victory too. And then he says what it is. He says the sting of death is sin. That's the graveyard, right? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. It's the thing that condemns us. The law of God says to me, Sam, his holiness, what are you like? How are you doing in comparison to this? And I'm judged by it. And then Paul says this, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ, our Lord. How is that possible if Christ is not raised from the dead? It's not a victory in that regard. Now, you might say, well, I don't have victory over my sin. I don't have victory over my sin. Jesus might give me victory over my death. And I want you to know that that expression, that having victory over sin, is not becoming sinless. Anybody here sinless? Raise your hand. That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about the power that sin has to bring ultimate death. So you are still in a sinful body, aren't you? 
I'm in one, I can tell you for sure. You can tell me for sure as well. I'm still in that old sinful body. How do I have a victory then? Well, as the poet said, our sinful bodies would press us to hell. But I'm not going to hell because Christ was raised from the dead. So I have victory over the power, over the effect of sin. That's what it means quite literally. And I won't die. I say, that's insane, Sam. Of course you'll die. No, I won't. Pretty bold statement, isn't it? If you believe in Christ, you won't die. And we'll see why in a minute. Second point, then, is Jesus' resurrection brings eternal life. You might say, well, I know that. The church is always talking about eternal life, and I'm saved from my sins and have life ever after, and that's great. You got it. But what I want you to know is Jesus' life is intrinsically linked to our life if we believe and trust in him. Paul makes that clear in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, if Jesus is not raised from the dead, well, neither are you. If Jesus is raised from the dead, well, so are you. And then he twists it and turns it around very smart. And he says, if you're raised from the dead, so will he be, right? <laughs> They're intrinsically linked. They're joined completely. We can't separate that idea. The Lord says that, I will, I will lose none. Because he was raised from the dead, so will we be. Raised to what, though? Eternal life. Eternal life. Real life. Real living. You might say, well, I'm doing the real life thing now. You're not. You're not. If you don't know Christ, you're not. You're still dead in your transgressions and sins. But if you become a Christian, you're in eternal life. Now. Now it's only going to get better. <laughs> Amen? Are you pleased to hear that? It's only going to get better. Listen to some texts. I just tripped through these. I just want you to hear the power of Scripture talking about eternal life. John 14 says, I will, this is Jesus speaking directly, although all scripture is that, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Listen, yet a little while and the world will see me no more. But you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. Intrinsically linked. This is the promise, says John which he himself made to us, eternal life. That's the promise in Christ, eternal life. This is eternal life, says John again, that they may know you, the Father, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. That's eternal life. You know God. Do you know God now? You've got eternal life. And the testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his son. If there's no resurrection, this life is in a dead person. Not possible, right? Because he was raised from the dead. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word, Jesus says, and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment. That's the problem with the non-Christian, right? Christ is alive. You're going to meet him. You're going to come into judgment. But he who believes in me and hears my word and him who sent me has eternal life, doesn't come into judgment, but, but has passed from death to life. So I, I don't quite understand that. And fair enough, right? It's difficult to understand. Well, hear this then. 
Jesus is about to raise someone from the dead. Lazarus, you know the story. If you don't know the story, speak to me after. I'll share it with you. In the midst of someone that is dead, who's a friend, and he knows he's going to raise him from the dead, he sees people mourning in great sorrow. He himself has sorrow for the weight of sin and death. And he says this, I am the resurrection. <laughs> I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. We know that we will pass from this place. The spirit will leave this body. We call that death. And we know the experience of that. It's profound. It's absolute. It's instant. It's irreversible. But in Christ, it's not death. He says, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Do you believe that I am the resurrection and the life? That's what the apostles testified to, wasn't it? Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And there it is. Everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die, but we will, we'll pass, but we won't experience death. Those that are left will experience the loss and see death from this side, but from the other side, we pass straight through into full life, 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 eternal life, real life, full life. That's what Jesus came to bring and it's not possible without the payment for sin and it's not possible without true death in christ and it's not possible without the resurrection we're intrinsically linked to christ's resurrection if we believe and trust in him and the last point as we close the resurrection of jesus christ brings hope Victory, eternal life, and hope. It's not hard to see how, is it? Not hard to see why. They're all linked. They're all linked together. Because you have victory over sin and the implications and the ramifications, the end result of sin, because you have victory over death. You have eternal life. What do you get? Hope. There's no resurrection, as I said right at the beginning of this message. There isn't any hope. Because there is a resurrection, there is real hope. We live in a world that needs hope, don't we? Do you think we live in a world that needs hope? It's a tough time. It's a tough time. It's always been a tough time. We're, it's drawing closer to our, our existence. The world itself has no hope to offer, only in this life. And this week has been especially tough for many of us, if not all. We lost a little baby, Caleb. We believe wholeheartedly that he's safe and secure. He's been given a, a quick pass through this life into the real life. In one sense, he's been spared what we have to endure, and that's suffering. Anyone here not suffering in one way or another? We're all suffering. 
that in the midst of suffering, in Christ, in the gospel, in the crowning glory of Christ dying for the sin of the world, being buried and being raised again to, to life, there is hope. I want to close with this text. I always try and close with the text, and then I'll just say a couple of very simple things. I want you to hear anew, if you're in the midst of pain and suffering, I want you to hear anew life in Christ and hope. This is Romans 5. I'll try and explain bits of it as I go. Paul talks here about being what, what he calls justified, which literally means to be made right with Christ because of his death, burial, and resurrection. And he says that because of that, we've actually got peace with God. So when we meet the risen Savior, we won't be judged. He says, through Jesus Christ, we've also obtained access by faith because it's not futile in Christ. We've also obtained access by faith into the grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Really? Yeah. Because that's what hope causes you to do. We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. And character produces hope. It's completely illogical, isn't it? The world without Christ, you know, suffering produces endurance, character, and hope. It doesn't. It produces misery and hopelessness. But in Christ, it produces hope. And hope, he says, doesn't put us to shame. It means it doesn't fail us. Real hope. Not just being hopeful. Oh, I hope Jesus was raised from the dead. That's not hope. That's being hopeless, really, and just hoping maybe. But having genuine hope because you know Christ was raised from the dead. He says, because the love of God has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Who has been given to us. Because while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We were in the hopeless darkness, transgressions and sins and death. And while we were in that place, Christ died for us. Since therefore, this is a, an encouragement to us. Since therefore, we have now been justified by his blood. Much more shall we be saved from him for the wrath, from the wrath of God. For if we were at one time enemies with God and now are reconciled to God by the death of his son, listen carefully, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life to resurrection. That's the resurrection. And so we have hope. We have victory over sin, over death. There's no hold on you, sin, if you know Christ, if you follow Christ, if you trust him. has no power over you. We have eternal life and we have hope. I pray that this Easter, 
you're able just to reflect and drink that in anew. You've got victory. You've got eternal life. And you have real hope. And so if you don't know Christ, the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Tomorrow, oh, I'll do that at the end of the year. I'll come to it, you know, maybe, you know, when I'm 60, 70, or 80, or 90. Today is the day of salvation. To become a Christian, all you do is put your trust and faith in this son of God who died for the sin of the world, was buried and rose again from the dead. That's how you get saved. That's how you become a Christian. And then you start to follow. You start to obey him. You start to fight against sin in your life for his glory. And you also start to testify to the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. See, all of this is a foretaste. This, this picture that we've been given, this reality in scripture, is a foretaste. Something you can just begin to understand, just begin to taste before we meet the Lord in person or he returns in person. It's a foretaste of our deliverance. And so our hope should be strong, should be unwavering. Because Christ has been resurrected in power and we will be with him eternally when he comes. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, again, we just want to stop and pause and reflect on the wonder and the splendor and the majesty of Jesus. He who knew no sin became sin for us in order that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And Lord, we give you thanks for Jesus. We give you thanks for his obedience, his desire to serve you, to obey you, to come to this place which he created and to die in our place. But Lord, for the power and the glory of the resurrection, just want to praise you so much. Thank you, thank you, thank you for Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for me and for coming back to life. Thank you that we have victory, we have eternal life, and we have a genuine hope. And all God's people said, amen.